What kind of family story does God tell? Is His Word filled with beautiful families who can provide shining moral examples? Or does He tell a far more powerful story, a true story about dads and moms wrestling with ungodly, immoral, and murderous kids, and the need for God to reach into the mess and save? Let's turn with our study leader, Dave Woodson, to Genesis chapter 4 and find out. I want all of you to close your eyes for a minute. Close your eyes for a minute. And I'm going to mention a word, and I want you to see the picture in your mind when I mention this word. Family. All right, everybody have a picture? You can open them up. Okay, what's the picture you have in your mind? Some of you have a picture of a husband and wife, two children, and they live in a nice house, and there you are, right? Some of you have that picture. Some of you pictured you're a single mom, and you've got three kids, and you're rushing to get your kids to child care or, or to school as you begin your day. There's other ones of you that are dads, and you're going to get the kids for your every other weekend where you're able to have the kids. Probably not too many in this audience, but if I was speaking down at UT, there's several of those that would picture a family where you have two women that are raising two of their adopted kids, and you have that kind of a home. You have two guys that are raising one of their natural-born kids, but now they're in that kind of a family. If you listen to Barney, you'll sing early in the morning, and probably some of you haven't drunk enough coffee to hear what your kids are singing, but I, I just copied down the repeated refrain that your kids sing with Barney. Barney might be off the air, but the kids, you never know these days, our, our culture changes so quickly. But Barney would have all the kids sing, families are different, and mine's just right for me. Yeah, mine's just right for me. So the reality of the matter is we live in a culture where there's all different kinds of families. The traditionalists see all this change, and they cry out, let's go back to the days of Ozzie and Harriet. How many of you remember the days of Ozzie and Harriet? That'll label you, okay? Or the days to leave it to Beaver. There's another group, very powerful in our culture, that says, no, the diversity is great. There's all different kinds of families, and we can define the families a lot of different ways. Now, as I open up the Bible today, as you turn to the book of Genesis, what I would expect that when I, I go to the very first times that families are talked about, in Genesis chapter 4, you have the very first creation of a family. because a family, and we, and we do start out with Ozzie and Harriet. Only they don't have 50 styles clothes. It's more like the, the Flintstones. You know, they have skin clothes, okay? The way the story is told. But you actually begin in the scripture with an Ozzy and Harry. You begin with Adam and you begin with Eve. And it's a great family. It's like my three sons, only we start out with two sons. We have Cain born and then we have Abel born. So let's look at it. We actually do begin as we look at Genesis chapter 4, and here we have the beginning of a family. One of the things I want to encourage you to do is that Genesis lays the foundation, and one of my purposes is just to hand you keys on, and tools on a Sunday morning that can open up the rest of your own conversation with the Lord through his word. But you actually begin in Genesis chapter 4. It says, Adam lay with his wife. He knew his wife, Eve. 
and she became pregnant. The idea that, you know, they had, they had relationships together. The Hebrews have a very beautiful way of expressing that. It shows you, contrary to what you're often taught, that God in his word is not against sexuality. This is a beautiful thing. It, it uses a word for intimacy, to know someone. You don't, just, you don't just enter into this casually. You actually know Adam and Eve know each other. They're intimate with each other. They're sharing each other's lives. That's all communicated in this Hebrew word that's used as a euphemism for their relationship that's going to produce a child. So he started out with really good. Adam is lay with his wife Eve or knew his wife Eve, and she became pregnant, and they rejoiced. She gave birth to Cain, and she names him. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother. So, man, this is really, really good. This is Ozzy and Harriet. They now have two kids. And, and, and we know that Eve is on whose side? Is she on the Lord's side? Remember in Genesis 3.15, I told you, there are going to be two families. There's going to be the seed of the woman, and there's going to be the seed of the serpent. So the whole story of the Bible is the tale of two families. And I want to show you how the writer right away begins to develop that story. You need to go through the whole Bible saying the seed of the woman that is following the Lord, following Yahweh, following the great creator. And there's those, and it's not physical seed because they all come from Eve and Adam. But you have another group of people that are children of the serpent. They follow his cunning. They follow his deception. They follow his plan. And Eve is showing us which side has Eve chosen to be on. God's side. How do you know that? It's not because I tell you that. What does the text say? Who does she thank for the birth of her kids? The Lord. And so you know. See, as you're reading the story... The clue that the writer, as you read the story carefully, Eve is shown you in the text, I am on the Lord's side. I'm following him. In fact, she's thankful to him. She looks at him and says, it's the Lord that's given me this child. And she actually feels, as I've often taught you, that I have given birth to the great deliverer because she says, I've gotten the man-child. And this is in the context of you were, if you had been following, reading from the beginning. This is right after God, in the curse against the serpent, said there's going to be great enmity between your seed and the woman's seed. And there's going to be a great male deliverer that's going to be struck by you as a serpent. But then he's going to crush you. Eve, right at the beginning of the story, is saying, hey... I've generated the great male child. He's going to destroy the curse of death. He's going to defeat the evil one. And then she gives birth to another child named Abel. Interesting enough, the name Abel means like a vapor, very effervescent, very weak. And that tells us something about what's going to happen to this child. Cain actually sounds like I've been given this gift. I've been given this child from the Lord. A very strong word. I've acquired, I've now possessed this great male child. So the story is really good so far. It gets even better. Both of the children, at the very beginning of time, in this Ozzy and Harriet first created family, they're going to worship the Lord. If you are reading a story, it's like we've turned on the Disney Channel. It's like we've turned on the Family Channel. And what we have is we've got a godly family. It's like Ozzy and Harriet. The boys are worshiping the Lord. This is really great. They're calling on the Lord. Look what it says. It says, now Abel kept flocks. So he was a shepherd. 
It says that Cain worked the soil. In fact, it says that Cain is doing exactly what God said in Genesis chapter 2 that Adam was created to do. It uses exactly the same words. He's to serve the ground. So, so far, it's so good. We've got one child that's going to be a shepherd. He's taking care of sheep and goats, and he's in the ag part of the high school program. And we have Cain that's in the farming side. He's driving his John Deere tractor and all that kind of stuff. You understand what I'm saying? So what do they do? They do a really good thing. It says that Cain brought some of the fruits. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering for the Lord. What would you expect Cain to bring? He's keeper of the ground. He's a farmer. He produces crops. So he brings some of his fruit is all that it says. Now we've got a shepherd. What's he going to bring? It says, but Abel brought portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. What's the firstborn? If you're a shepherd, the firstborn is right off the top. Okay? It says he brought from the firstborn of his flock and some of the fat portions. And if you were an Israelite reading this text, the bells would start going off because you would have been raised that the Lord gets the fat portions. And they didn't view it as being high in cholesterol. They viewed that's the good part. That's the tasty part. And so you give the Lord in the sacrifice, you give him your first fruit, the firstborn of your flocks. So you honor him with your, the, right off the top. And then you give him the very best portions of the meat. Which later on, when you get to the book of Leviticus and the book of Exodus, that's going to be what the priests offer to the Lord. Now, the Lord hasn't spelled all that out. But if you're an Israelite, you would be digging. This, this is important. Abel is bringing a sacrificial animal. That would remind you, and this is what I want you to be alert to. When you're reading a text, and you're reading a story, it's not just what the text tells you. You also need to be alert to what the text doesn't tell you. And the text had just told you at the end of Genesis 3 that the Lord had made some clothing for Adam and Eve, and he made them out of skin, not leaves. Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with leaves. So if, 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 if I was telling this story to my grandkids, one of my grandkids would, would raise me and say, you know, Papa, you know, what's going on here? God had to kill some animals to get those skins. They would picture that in their mind. That's what you want to learn to do. Now, God isn't down on Cain because he brought some of his crops. Although he doesn't bring his best crops, so there's a little bit that he's doing tokenism. You know, I got to try to pay off the Lord. The text definitely is longer talking about what Abel did, really stressing that he brought the first fruits and it was a slain animal. Later on, as the story develops, so one of the things you put down on your sheet of paper you're studying the Bible is sacrifice, fatty portions, first fruit. It's all I know at this time, and I know in this story, it said that the Lord looked with favor. Look what it says. It says the Lord looked with favor on Abel and on his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. There are two kinds of people in this room this morning. There are those that you bring a sacrifice to the Lord, and the Lord looks with favor, and you're in close intimacy with him. There's another group of you that you're angry at the Lord. Deep in your soul, you feel God is against you. 
You feel he's rooking you. You feel that he is mean to you. You feel that he's not unjust to you. You fight with him. Why do you bless my brother and you don't bless me? That's what's going on in this story. Right away, I've got a problem in this family. Suddenly, I've got real tension. We started out with a nice Odney and Harriet story. We have an incredible two godly kids, godly sons. They bring their sacrifices, but now anger invades. In the family, in families, anger. You put that on your paper, anger. What's anger going to do? Some of you are wrestling with anger right now this morning. I wrestle with anger. When I was a little kid, I hit my little brother over the head. Mary reminded me of that this week with an electric football game when he beat me. My little brother threw ivory stone bookends at me, and I threw them back at him. My brother hit me over the head with a hammer, busted my head open while I was watching The Wonderful World of Disney. After I hit him over the head with a wet paper bag, he snuck up behind me at night and just clobbered me with a hammer, just cracked my head wide open. You say, well, it's amazing you're still here. Well, I want you to know we had anger Two brothers. I love my brother dearly. Amazing grace. But I want you to know that your family is like that. Some of you guys, there's a deep-seated anger in you. And I want to share where the anger comes from. You're jealous. You're upset. You're very uptight because you feel God is blessing someone else. Not blessing you. That God does good things for other people. Doesn't do it for you. You're revealing with that anger which side you're on. Very powerful, very, very powerful. You're deciding what side you're on. Now, what's going to happen? It's the family channel so far. Everything's fine. You know, Adi and Harriet, two boys, but now we've got real tension. Cain's really angry, and he's uptight because God has looked on favor on his brother, and a brother's anger and a brother's envy is jumped right into the human race, the very first family. So what's going to happen? The Lord comes to Cain. And the Lord just exterminates him because he's an angry person. And the Lord tells him, I've had it. You're done. And he disappears. No, I learned something about God. And I read this story. Look what it says. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And the Lord is coming to you as you read this story. It's in every one of your families. I want to share with you as I speak to you about the family. Anger is the biggie. That's going to destroy your families, destroy brothers and sisters. Destroy brothers and brothers. Destroy extended families. Some of you, when you get together with your family, it all boils over in anger. And the Lord's coming to you today and he's saying, why are you angry? Every one of us need to ask ourselves, we need to enter this story. Why am I angry? Then the Lord says this to Cain, why are you angry? He says, why is your face downcast? When you're angry, we can look in your face and we'll know that you're angry. You'll start out, we know when your face is flaring and your nose is all red and all the, you know, the blood has pumped your head and you're ready to knock our block off. We also know that after you resolve that, we know that you're angry is when your face goes blank and you don't have hardly any feelings and it's all simmering underneath, ready to explode. But your face decides whether you're angry or not. And so we need to look at each other. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to work with each other. That's what the Lord is doing with Cain. The, what is Yahweh like? He's very gracious. Here's he's got an angry firstborn. 
What is God doing? He's trying to counsel with him. So you start to learn that the God of the universe, even when I'm angry, even when I'm upset, the Lord's going to work with me, and I need to open up to him. I need to be honest with him. I need to cry out to him for help. That's what the story is crying out to you to do. But a lot of us are like Cain. What, what does Cain do? What does Cain say? The Lord says to Cain, if you do what is right, will not I accept you? Will not you be accepted? But if you do what is wrong, but if you do what is wrong, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now, what's going on there? What's that story about? I'm not just teaching you so you learn a little bit about this original family. I want to try to give you keys to the way that the Lord is telling his story. The Lord just introduced Cain to a great conflict. What's the conflict? The serpent wants to have him. The serpent wants to have every one of you. He wants to have me. It's a great battle that goes on inside of us. This is way before Peter tells us in 1 Peter that Satan's like a roaring lion. Anybody ever heard that? You ever learned that verse? Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's way at the end of God's story. Here at the beginning of the story, God pictures sin and the serpent being like a lion that's trying to pounce on you. So the Lord's doing everything he can. He's confronting Cain. He says, Cain, think about what's happening inside of you. Why is your face downcast? Why are you angry? He warns Cain. Cain, don't you realize that the serpent's like an angry lion that wants to devour your life? He wants to murder you. He wants to get you to join his side. What's Cain going to do? That's the tension in the story. What's Cain going to do? Now, Cain said to his brother, Brother Abel, let's go out into the field. Man, that's what brothers do. All of you that have, I have, I've said to my brother Ron, let's go out in the field. Let's go play in the woods in the Adirondacks. It's a normal brotherly thing to do. Only these are grown brothers. And Abel goes out into the field, and while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. I want all of you to understand this. Because a whole lot of you think that the Bible is a story about how to have really leave it to beaver family. And to have one story after another that will tell you how to have good families. And so your, your idea is, I want to make sure that everything is like the 50s. By the way, I lived in the 50s, and most of the counting situations that I work with were generated in the 50s. It wasn't such a great time. And what I'm really concerned about is we want to really expose you to God's word. So the big question I want to ask yourself, you need to ask yourself, what kind of a story do you think God is telling you? In his word, what kind of a story does God tell you? Because I was raised in an evangelicalism that said, if you follow Jesus, if you are the kind of a daddy that you need to be, the kind of a mom you need to be, and you raise kids that learn all the Iwana verses and do everything, that will all live happily ever after. And now I've lived long enough. And you know what? A whole bunch of moms and dads that tried to do that, there was murder in their family. There was adultery in their family. There was lying in the family. In fact, almost every one of your families, like my family included, my mom had nervous breakdowns. And the Christian organizations that I was a part of, you never, never said that. You always cover that up. In fact, they would get very angry with me when I taught as a son. This is a reality of the Wurtzen family. 
My sister that's now home with the Lord, you know, she married a marvelous Moody Bible Institute guy, and then he turned out to be really deep in bad sin. You know, what I want to tell you, and you just saw Franklin Graham up there. My brother went to Laterno with Franklin, and Franklin's been marvelously turned around. You need to make a lot of boxes for Samaritan's purse. It's a marvelous organization, but my brother knew Franklin when he got thrown out of Laterno University. He, you, if you've read his story, he was the prodigal. That's Billy Graham, our great pope. And you say, Dave, why are you telling us that? Because what's marvelous about this book is it tells about what your family is really like. And every family has secrets. And grace wants you to stop having secrets. It wants you to stop pretending. It doesn't want you to tell nice Disneyland stories. It wants you to face the truth of what real families wrestle with. And that's why God, as we begin his word, we're introduced right away. Sin doesn't slowly evolve and slowly develop. Instead, it explodes. And the very first family in the Bible, the older brother murders his brother. And even then, God is gracious. What does God do? God doesn't kill Cain. You read the story. The Lord confronts him. He says, listen, your brother cried out to me from the ground in verse 10. Now you're under a curse and you're driven from the ground. And the the ground that is going to open up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand, it's not going to produce. You're going to work it. And it's no longer going to yield its crop to you. You're going to be a restless wanderer throughout all the earth. And the text is telling you, if you become part of Satan's seed, You allow anger, instead of casting yourself upon the grace of God, instead of saying, Lord, you're right, I'm going to go and borrow a a, a sheep from my brother's flock because I want to enter into whatever plan. I don't even understand what the plan is exactly yet, but I want to do what you want me to do. That's what Cain could have done. But instead, he stays angry. The Lord puts the mark of Cain in his life. And, and, And in secular history, whenever I talk to a secular audience about the mark of Cain, that's really a bad thing. Like in English literature, that's a bad thing. And, you know, he's got the mark of Cain in him. But actually, when you read the story, the mark of Cain is God's grace. Cain says, everywhere I go, as I wander throughout the world, everyone's going to know my history, that I'm a, a brother murderer. And even in the secular world, if you murder your brother, you're going to get it. Nobody deep in their soul accepts that. So in this ancient society where you don't have all the law courts developed, everywhere Cain goes, he could be killed, just like the Old West. But the Lord puts a mark on him that says, don't touch Cain. And the Lord protects him. So what's Yahweh telling you? He's gracious, he's kind, he's merciful. But I want all of you to know that the story of Genesis develops. So Cain produces a line. And this begins to give you the story of Cain's line. You look at verse 17, it says, Cain lay with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city. So in this line of Cain, there's going to be great developers, great builders of cities. So some of you that are in industry, you're going to be making cement this week, you're going to be building buildings. I want you to know that that's part of human society. Some of you have friends who are going to live just for that. It says, also to Enoch was born Ired, and it goes further. We have way down to verse 19. It says, Lamech married two women. Now, all I can do this morning is give you a key. In this story of the Bible, you have, now we're not with Ozzie and Harriet anymore, are we? We have Ozzie and Harriet and Jane. This is the first time polygamy is introduced in the Bible. 
So as you wrestle with the culture wars about family, the Bible tells you stories about polygamous families. So you're going to have people like at a college university, they might t- your teacher might tell you, well, just throw the Bible out. You know, man, it, it teaches polygamy and stuff. We, we need to progress far beyond that. Read the story. This is the first time polygamy is presented in the Bible. Who's the one that was polygamous? Lamech, who's in the line of Cain, he treats these two women, her, their names mean ornament and tinkling. So he treats them just as playthings for him. He also is very violent. It says that his brother was Jubal, who was the father of all who play the harp. So music and the flute come through this line. And we're going to later find out that the flute used to praise God. But we're also going to learn that music is in the line of the serpent. And so it can be used very powerfully to pull people into just living for the serpent's desire. And that's a struggle that all of us have. It also tells us that he had a brother named Jubal, who was the father of all who played the harp. He also had, Zillah also had Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools of bronze and iron. And we also have Jabal earlier, that was the father of all who live in tents. So we have, in the line of Cain, and this is what I want you to understand, this is the beginning of culture. You have city builders, You have ranchers, farmers, you have musicians, you have those that are going to work and develop all the technology. Human beings can do incredible things, but they're wandering. There are those in life that say this is all there is. The meaning of life is to build buildings. It's to learn to use tools and to build things. It's to be able to play instruments. So in my life, I've seen men and women that have lived all their lives for the buildings that they built, all over Dallas or or Manhattan. When I was raised, I was with guys that sang in the Metropolitan Opera. They lived for music. Some of them worshipped the opera. It was their God. This helped me to understand it. It would be very confusing. I'd go to the Metropolitan Opera, and I knew that here were people that weren't living according to what the Scripture says, and yet they sang like angels. How could that ever be? Because God is gracious. Music is beautiful. But I'd also learned from the greatest bass singer at that time that those guys that sang so beautifully or those girls that sang so beautifully sometimes were heterosexually immoral and homosexually immoral. And their lives were falling apart. And he would talk to me about trying to reach them for Jesus. And it began to help me understand that this world, this secular culture can do very beautiful things and we can put men on the moon. But if we're not connected with God... There's anger and there's violence. And Lamech is a very violent man. Cain just murdered one brother. Lamech is going to wreak vengeance upon a young man that attacked him. And he didn't did do it 70 times 7. Just the opposite of what Jesus says about forgiveness. And what you have in the first story of the Bible, and I can just whet your appetites this morning, is you start to have the tale of two sons This is the serpent side. And the genealogy takes you through to what Cain's civilization produces. And it's going to end in the flood because the violence that Cain did against his brother is going to explode in the pre-flood world. So that in Genesis 6, God's going to say that he looks over mankind and all he sees is violence continually. But there's another family. It's the good side. It says that Adam knew his wife again. When we turn back, we read in chapter 4, it's in verse 28, it says, Adam lay with his wife, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, which means the Lord is appointed. 
And God had granted another child. Seth sounds just like in Hebrew, granted. Another child to take the place of Abel that Cain had killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enoch. And at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now we've got the other side. The godly side doesn't just live to build buildings. They don't just live for music. They don't just live wandering, trying to find the meaning of life just in this world. Now we've got another family, another son, and this son generates a son that called in the name of the Lord. And it means that you pray. It also means that you proclaim the name of Yahweh. So those of you that are wondering, did anybody know about Yahweh in the Old Testament? Yes. Enosh and Seth were proclaiming to the people they were with, even the sons of Cain, calling the name of the Lord. And how do I know that? Because that's what Abraham's going to do later in the story among the Canaanites. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. Don't think that Yahweh's only dealing with Seth. Yahweh's reaching out, just like he talked to Cain. You say, how do you know that? Because when Cain was getting ready to murder his brother, Yahweh's trying to reach him, trying to call to him. Study the story carefully. It's not like God isn't reaching out to people. Genesis is telling a story where this line of Seth, one of the things they do, they pray to the Lord, and the word in Hebrew also means that I proclaim to others about Yahweh. Though do this morning, there's some of you, you haven't called upon the name of the Lord all week. It's a good chance you're in the line of king. There's another side that you've been calling to the Lord constantly. When you're angry, you call to him. You want to turn away from it. That's the mark of Yahweh in your life, the mark of the Lord. The final thing I want you to see in this godly line, in the middle of this genealogy, when you get to chapter 5, all of you skip over the genealogy, but you need to read those genealogies because in Genesis, the genealogies move the story forward. They move you down through the line, and they tell you what a line produces. What the text does is it gives you the line of Lamech and the, and the line of Cain. And the seventh from Cain is Lamech, this polygamist, this angry, vengeful man. Who's the seventh in the line of Seth? Look what it says. It's someone that you've probably learned about. It says, in the, as we go down to the seventh, it says in verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years... He became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, who lived longer than any other man that ever lived, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because the Lord took him away. So there's two things. All I can do this morning is, is just get you going. I want you to get excited about really reading the scripture because to be honest with you, I've been having people tell me the Bible stories and teach me since I was a little kid, but hardly anybody really gets people into the story. What I've been this morning, I want you to spend the rest of your life. What's the story of the Bible? Two families, a tale of two families. The line of Cain, which is the line of the serpent, which is going to be destroyed by the flood. And the line of the Lord, the line of the woman, the line that's going to call out to the Lord, the line that's going to walk with him, the line that eventually is going to produce the promised child. And what Genesis 1 through 9 does is give you a precursor of all the history of the world. You see, you're in the middle of a world just like I told you this morning, Cain and the line of Seth. And it's going to end with those that call upon the name of the Lord, those that walk with him, those that believe in the promise, great male child that's going to come.
but a ton of people are going to be destroyed by the flood of judgment. And only Noah's family is going to make it through. And then the story, which is the story we're a part of, is going to begin again. As we have Noah's son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, what are they going to produce? And so you need to read that. What are Shem, Ham, and Japheth going to produce? God's very kind. He's told you what all the history of the world is going to be. He gave you a precursor of it. In Genesis 1 through 9, in the flood story, you go from Cain and his line, and it produces great cities, produces great music, produces great culture, but they're wandering, never at peace in their soul, never at rest. They never find the garden. But there's another line. There's a line of those that call in the name of the Lord. And they say, please, Lord, send your great deliverer. Lord, we're depending upon the great deliverer. We're following our mom, Eve, who thought that you would give him the great deliverer. That's what we're living for. That's the structure of the Bible. And they call upon the name of the Lord, and then they walk with him day by day. If you're a daddy today, your responsibility is to teach your family, to model for your family. I'm a dad, and you dads have tremendous sway on this, that call upon the Lord. So like with your little boy, when you hit your thumb with a hammer, and you get furious, and you curse, and your little six-year-old says, Daddy, why did you say that? You say, I'm so sorry. Daddy really wrestles with anger. And I've tried to say from my time as a little kid, I'm not going to get angry, not going to get angry, not going to anger. I'm going to be like the, the engine who could. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And you're going to tell your little kid, you're going to say, I thought I could beat my anger, but I can't. And you tell your little boy, in my own strength, I can never beat my anger. And you know that anger is wrong because you just talked to your dad about when he got really angry. And I want you to know, son, that if I rely upon myself, that I'm going to really hurt somebody. But I heard an incredible promise that I could call upon the name of the great covenant Lord. And he sent his precious son to die on the cross of Calvary to forgive me for my anger. And then he rose again And he created a new daddy inside. So right now, I'm going to ask the Lord to forgive me. And I'm going to ask the Lord to help me to not be an angry dad. Son, will you pray with me? That's the kind of dad I want us to be. That's a redemptive dad. Not a moralistic dad. Not a dad that's covering. Not a dad that's pretending but an incredible dad that says, just like Enosh, I want to call upon the name of the Lord. Just like Enoch, I want to walk with God today. Moms, same thing for you. Kids, study God's word. I've studied it all my life, and the more that I study, the more more truthful it is, the more realistic it is, the more honest it is. And I pray that this morning with all my heart that I might have just generated some ideas that will help you to understand as you're going through the Old Testament. It doesn't tell you good moralistic stories. It tells you honest stories about real people that desperately need redemption. Which family are you in? The family of Cain? Anger? Violence? 
wandering or the family of Seth calling upon the name of the Lord, walking with the Lord, fully trusting that he's going to come through with his promised seed, 